Uh, what's the most important word in the English language? Try. Which means that the most important phrase in the English language is? Try again. <laughs> and it's kind of what the sermon is about today. Here's another question. Are you a powerful person? Are you a powerful person? How many say yes, I'm a powerful person? How many are like, not so powerful? Not, not this person, not, not so powerful? Says our prayer ministry leader, Ryan. Yes. Um, how many of you feel like a powerful person? Like you just, you really feel like it. How many of you accept it on faith? Yeah, more like that? Sure. Um, I think it's clear from, from Scripture, uh, from uh, the gospel message that Jesus preached, from uh, the history of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that we read about uh, in, in the Bible, that we are to be very powerful people. We are to be influential people in the world. We are to be the salt of the earth, the thing that spices the whole planet, right? We are to be uh, the light of the world as Jesus was. We're supposed to show the character of Jesus and to demonstrate his power on earth, and we could go on and on about that. We are to be ex- extraordinarily creative in the manner that God is extraordinarily creative, bringing life out of chaos, bringing healing out of sickness, bringing restoration out of pain and and trauma, uh, bringing a relationship out of lostness. That is what we do. It's the nature of God to make glorious life out of nothing. It is our nature as children of God to make glorious lives out of nothing lives. That's, that's our mission. That's how we are like him. And everything we read in scripture, everything we read in the gospel really drives this point home. We are to flow with streams of living water, Jesus says. Whoever participates in life with us uh, should have rivers of life from which to drink. We are supposed to bring life and refreshment wherever we go. Uh, Jesus says, uh, in, in several different ways that we are supposed to have a multiplicative life. We are supposed to create hundredfold crop returns. Whatever the Lord does in your life, you are supposed to multiply in dozens of life, lives beyond yourself. We are to be witnesses wherever we go. We have some great testimonies about being witnesses with PTA moms or being witnesses uh, in, in business and and. The, the remarkable outcomes that can come from that. That's really cool. Jesus told his disciples, his, his uh, rough-necked fishermen, that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, the big city, in Samaria, the region, and to the ends of the earth. Wherever we go, we are supposed to be bringing kingdom testimonies exactly like we heard uh, this morning. But often, we are not that fruitful. You know, we see some good things, but not that many good things, not the explosive fruitfulness that scriptures uh, lead us to expect in our lives. And we've been talking about that, about some of the things that can get in the way of the explosive fruitfulness that we are led to expect. Um, And one of the things I think can get in the way of the tremendous fruitfulness that we are supposed to see in life is the very nature of the power that we are supposed to have in life. 
Because the power that God puts in us, the power of the kingdom of God, of the dominion of God that flows through us, often comes in strange and weak wrapping. It's an unusual sort of power. Our Messiah, after all, was an itinerant beggar in a global backwater who ministered hard in public for a few years and then was killed by the very people he was trying to serve. And we call him the King of Kings. His power for all the world looked very weak and disappointing. Of course, it changed the entire planet, but if you were there observing it at the time, it was not, it was not all rainbows and sunshine. There were some significant uh, apparent uh, failures uh, as he walked. And in using godly power in this life, we find that success often comes through what seems like failure. Life often comes through what seems like death. Promise often flows through what seems like disappointment. And if you don't understand that, that can be a real shutdown. It can really choke out kingdom fruitfulness uh, in, your, in your life. If I were to describe the nature of my life to you, I've been walking with Jesus a long time. I've been, I've been working hard, I would say, honestly. I've been working hard in the kingdom and on behalf of the kingdom of God uh, for a long, long time. And if you would ask me to characterize my life, go ahead, ask me. How would I, thank you for asking. Um, I would, I'd probably put it this way, not, not, not to be overly somber, but, but actually to try and be cheerful. I would say, my life has been a disappointing life that has generated good things for me and many others. Does that make sense? It, it would be, I'd be very hard pressed to tell you the arc of my life, my life story, without majoring on a lot of disappointments. I think my life has been characterized by some real gut punch disappointments, uh, a, a lot of them. Uh, in fact, um, if you'd ask me, when's, when's the last time you were surprised by how well things turned out? Go ahead, ask me. Thank you. Okay. Um, I, I would say it was when I was 17, and, and I, got into, I got into the college of, of my choice, which was a big deal where I grew up. That didn't really usually happen to people. Um, since then, now don't get me wrong, okay, don't get me wrong. Since then, nothing has turned out as well as I had hoped in my life. And yet somehow, it has been a pretty fruitful life. I mean, you know, it could, it could be more fruitful. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I'll work really hard on something. I kind of I want it to turn out a certain way. I have maybe good faith-filled expectations that it's going to turn out this way or it's going to reach this magnitude of fruitfulness. Has never happened since I was, you know, a teenager. As near, near, near as I can track. Sounds like a downer. Okay, it's been a little bit of a downer. Nevertheless, um, somehow goodness flows anyway. The kingdom flows anyway. Really interesting, unexpected, unplanned for things have happened anyway. Some promises have been fulfilled, although nothing like 
I would have specified. Does that make sense? God's power always seems to flow in a way that's wrapped up with weakness. Great strength combined with great vulnerability. How many of you have found that to be true, kind of, in your life? Not that everybody has a life exactly like mine, God forbid, but yeah. Um, The key for me has been to be open to the blessings that come amidst the disappointments. That has been an immense key. It's the only thing that has really let me stay open uh, to kingdom fruitfulness. I still struggle right there at that crux, you know, where I feel disappointed and yet am free enough to be fruitful. I still struggle with that, to be honest with you, but I do know that that's the key. And to the degree that my life has been fruitful at all, it's been because I've let the kingdom flow in the midst of disappointments and and, and bad surprises. And with bad surprises, I've had some good surprises. It's It's been that way Uh, In my career, you know, the career I set out on, invested a decade into, uh, failed miserably and painfully. But because of that, I get to be here with you this morning. I wasn't sure you would applaud at that, so I'm very gratified. I'm gratified that that you feel uh, thankful. Um, I think, you know, to be quite honest, um, it's been kind of like that in, in in my marriage. My marriage has been challenging uh, on occasion. Honey, can I hear an amen? Amen. I hear a little amen. Um, Hasn't been what I expected at all, uh, but has been fruitful. Uh, I think we've seen the power of the Lord flow through it, you know, and it's produced some things. Uh, The odd church or two. Um, I don't know. I, I could go on and on. I I think I see this in Scripture a lot. I've been meditating recently on the life of Moses. The life of Moses, called the prophet Moses, the the great prophet and and lawgiver uh, of the Old Testament, Moses. Who's more famous than Moses? Who had a better life than Moses? Jesus? Yeah, the answer is always Jesus. Good, good. But... Put yourself in Moses' life and and ask yourself, at what point would his life have not seemed disappointing? These are the sort of things I think about when I study scripture. So Moses, he sort of grew up uh, around Pharaoh's household. Uh, He had a heart for justice. And so the first foray he makes into justice turns out with him murdering someone. Really disappointed in himself. He runs in the desert where he plays at being a shepherd for 40 years among foreigners, and, you know, that must have been 40 years, a very demoralizing uh, time. He, he settles that that uh, uh, is going to be uh, his life. Uh, he gets called back uh, to the Hebrews who reject him, even as he delivered miracles to them, uh, for them, uh, for their uh, deliverance. Uh, finally gets them out of Egypt. There's tons of infighting through the whole process, even his own uh, brother at a certain point uh, sort of rebels uh, against him. All this nonsense on their travels, it got so bad as he was leading these people into freedom that God ends up making them wander in the wilderness for 40 years in circles, quite literally, until the entire generation dies off. 
fairly disappointing that the people he was charged to lead into freedom end up dying in the desert uh, instead. He worked really hard. I mean, he made a solid effort. And then as a reward, at the end of his days, he too is forbidden to enter the promised land uh, because he had one little screw-up, and he becomes a sign uh, to the people, uh, you know, because of that uh, little, little failure. At one point, is he not feeling disappointed with how things are turning out? I think he felt disappointed the entire time. And yet, what a life. Change the world for a huge portion uh, of, of the planet. The only comfort he ever had was God's promise that great things would happen eventually if he stuck with it, if he not only tried, but he, say it, tried again. It is written, and I think many of you could quote this verse, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You have to not just believe that God exists, you have to believe that God will reward you for living a, a godly life, that God is in it for you, that God is in it to bless you. Uh, God comes through when we try, is how I would translate that verse in the vernacular. There is a God, he comes through when we try. You have to believe that. You have to believe that if you're going to make it. Um, it's hard to follow God in life unless we firmly trust in it. We have to expect good things from our loving and generous God. But somewhere between occasionally and frequently, the things we're trying to do for God and through God just don't work out at all. They end up being disappointments. They result in failure or in pain. And if God is all-powerful and generous to bless us, then why does that happen? You know, he's all-powerful. He could control every detail if he wanted to. He calls us to do things. We make a good faith effort to do those things, maybe even at a sacrificial level, and then things just kind of fall apart and, and get very disappointing. Why? That can create a real crisis in our souls. We can get disappointed not just with the things that happen in life. We can get, and here's the phrase of the day, disappointed with God. Disappointment with God is one of the truly great soul killers in the world. Just disappointed with God. You, you let me down. You are a letdown, and that's the way it is. When we're trusting God, you know, for good things, we're trusting God with all our might. We're really trying to do good things for him, and then they just crumble. It can cause a real fundamental sort of disappointment. I'm not just talking about when your life sucks. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, you know, and we can get offended by God that he should let terrible things happen to you or let terrible things happen in the world. I'm talking about disappointment with God where we try to do good and godly things and they don't work. Right? And it's like, what the heck is that? You know? Aren't you supposed to reward those who earnestly seek you, come through for those who earnestly serve you? 
That's what I mean by disappointment with God. And it can be a, a real soul killer. And accordingly, it can be one of the great limiters on your life and one of the great limiters on how the kingdom of God flows through your life or doesn't, right? It can stop the flow of kingdom fruitfulness in your life like nothing else. It is really one of the great stoppers. So question is, how do we handle disappointment? And when we have experiences like that, what does it really say about God? How should we think about that? What can we do to help one another in the midst of those disappointing experiences so that we don't get disappointed with the God behind uh, our lives? How do we get past it? So let me just read a chunk of scripture uh, from your... uh, bulletin today. It's from Hebrews chapter 11, a poignant chapter in the body of epistles toward the end of your Bible. I bet there's some of you who have at least one or two memory verses from this chapter. It is a a little essay on faith written by the author of Hebrews. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We take that on faith because, of course, we weren't there. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. Which is a very, very poignant uh, sentence, if you know the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain brought a faith-filled sacrifice, excuse me, Abel brought a faith-filled sacrifice. And for his trouble he was murdered by his brother Cain. Uh, So the author is is, uh, drawing you to make um, some, uh, some conclusions. Abel did faithfully and righteously and was murdered. Something to think about. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away, it says in Genesis. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There's the verse. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, the coming flood, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by faith, he condemned the world, uh, judged the world, and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham's call from God was, Abraham, go to a place I will show you. I'm not going to tell you where it is until you get there. Start moving. A journey of faith. By faith he made his home in the promised land, and like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. In other words, he was there, but never really established as a home. Um, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, Abraham's wife, who was past childbearing age, 
about 90, wasn't able to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And many that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They never quite got what they were seeking. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, an eternal one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then finally, at the end, tacked on a little addendum. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. You know the story, right? Isaac was the promised child through whom uh, the descendants would come, but then one day God told Abraham, uh, sacrifice Isaac uh, to me, and Abraham was almost ready to do it before God intervened. Abraham reasoned that God could have could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. lot there, but just to state it, this, is, this might be the most famous passage on faith, the most famous essay on faith in Scripture. Um, it defines faith and it illustrates faith through many of our heroes of the faith. But this most famous passage on faith is all about people who lived with excellent faith who did not get what they wanted. That, as the writer understand it, is the pinnacle of faith illustrations. If you want to be a hero of faith, be the sort of person that lives according to a promise that you will never see fulfilled in your lifetime. In other words, day to day, you will always be a little disappointed. You will never get the breakthrough uh, that perhaps your heart is set on. And if you can do that for a lifetime, you are a champion. Which is either motivating or depressing, sort of figuring how, how you read it. But faith is about living according to things unseen and promises not quite delivered yet. Um, Because we know the stories, we can say that the people in these stories didn't get what they wanted, even if they got a little bit of it, without complication and all sorts of attending disappointments. Abraham got his son, but only when he was very old. And along the way, while waiting for uh, the promised son, he had... You know, another son, Ishmael, Abraham ends up kind of ruining his life and ruining the life of his mother. It's a very, very messy story filled with starkly disappointing, traumatic, and sometimes violent situations. One of the phrases that uh, really jumps out to me is the phrase, uh, and they were still living by faith when they died. That team seems to be the denouement of, of the essay. That's the, that's the payoff point. Yeah, they didn't get what they wanted. It was really messy along the way. But they were still locked into faith, even when they took their last breath. They didn't get what they wanted, but they still believed they would get what they wanted in spite of the disappointments they had experienced. Um, my... The most provocative line of the whole thing for me 
Um, it's a line at the end of what is the penultimate paragraph on your bulletin. Um, all these people were still living by faith when they died, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared a whole city for them. He is going to reward them eventually. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And I think the point of that is you might feel disappointed with God in life, uh, but it's far more important to think about whether God is disappointed with you. <laughs> and for any of us who still have faith, even at the end of great disappointments, God will not be disappointed with us. And if there is a God, and if he does have eternal rewards, that's where the money is, right? I might feel disappointed with you sometimes, God, frankly, if I'm going to be honest. Whew, help me live in such a way that I'm not a disappointment to you. Your opinions probably count for more in the end. Sober stuff. To stand before the Lord at the end of days and say, uh, rather than say, hey, I accomplished lots of things, it was really cool, to say instead, I did what I was supposed to do in the way that I was supposed to do it. I did not shirk even when I felt disappointed. That would be truly triumphant, right? That's the point. Amen? And we can sort of appreciate that conceptually. It's kind of hard to live that out day to day on a practical uh, level, though. Um, and at bottom, the problem of disappointment with God is that it can make us reluctant to risk further. It can make us reluctant to do any number of godly things. If we're disappointed with God, if we feel like he's not going to come through, then we're going to be reluctant to love sacrificially. We're going to be very measured in how uh, we live. Or we're going to be reluctant to, to try. Or since it's an issue of disappointment, we're going to be reluctant to try again. Or to try in spite of. And those are all very important things. Um, you know the story of... Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, early on uh, in his relationship with the disciples, recorded in a couple places, um, Jesus uh, shows up at the beach, and, and Peter and the other fishermen have been fishing all night in their, net, in their, in their boats on the Sea uh, of Galilee, and they haven't caught anything. Do you know this story? And so uh, Jesus uh, calls to them and says, hey, put out in deep water and throw out the nets again. And they're like, uh, we just fished all night. And if you know about fishing, you don't, you don't fish for shoal fish in deep water. You fish for shoal fish on shallow water on, on the change from deep to shallow. So it was really bad fishing advice. And Jesus was a carpenter, and I'm sure Peter was thinking, yeah, you don't take fishing advice for a carpenter. But Peter says, well, you know, because it's you, I'm going to try it. He throws out his net, and of course he brings in uh, a catch of fish that almost sinks the boat. He had to call other boats out uh, to help him. That's a story about trying again. And that's how Jesus' relationship started with his disciples. And I know that Jesus' relationship with many of you started under the same conditions. You're a little burnt out. You're burnt out on God, the idea of God. You had a little faith in your background, maybe in your childhood. Never really took off, never really flew. Or you're burned out on church because you've experienced all of it before. And it just kind of 
dead, dead, dead. And then somehow, in some way, you got connected with this body, or you walked in here, or God met you on the street, and you had enough faith to try again, to throw out your nets one more time. Many of you are at a place in life like that. I've been working hard for God. I've been trying to do good things on his behalf, and it hasn't worked out. I worked through the night, and I didn't catch one fish. And the call of God on your life this morning is to try again. What's going on there is that you are facing down disappointment with God. And that's the thing that makes you heroic. Um, Or not, as scripture uh, explains it. Disappointment with God is, is a great and a very real pain. There are examples in scripture of people who did not weather it well. I think the most famous and perhaps the most poignant is Judas. Judas worked very hard for Jesus. He followed him around for three years. Judas was there participating in the miracle working. He did not do it perfectly. He had money issues along the way. Uh, Scripture hints. Um, But who among us is perfect, right? And then in the end, where it starts to become clear that Jesus is not going to be the reputable nationally received heroic Messiah that Judas thought he would be, Judas gets profoundly disappointed and he quits. But he quits with a great fall. He ends up attacking uh, the very Lord that, that he had been serving. Disappointment with God can be devastating to your soul. It can turn you into someone you do not want to be. And I know that some of us have struggled with that as well. Tempted to let the anger and the cynicism overtake us. At the very least, it's going to rob you of joy. So, again, what do we do about it? What can we do about it on a practical level? Uh, We know that we're not supposed to let it stop us, but how do we help ourselves? If you're disappointed with God, what's the cure? So, let me just end with a few tips things that uh, I have found helpful as I've struggled with this and pitched battles in the course of my own life. Number one, realize that the goal of life is faith. The goal of your life, when all is said and done, is faith. It's to have faith every day and to die in faith even if you never get the outcomes that you are working for. Everybody that Moses was trying to free from slavery died ingloriously in the desert. That's that's not what a pastor wants in his portfolio. Yeah, I had a church once. You know, they all got killed uh, and... Died from lack of faith, but, you know, I think I did a good job. Um, But the goal, of course, is the faith. Or as uh, the writer of Hebrews puts it, um, they were still in faith uh, when they died. And I believe that Moses died in faith. We do see him again on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus had come. I think that was probably a good breakthrough celebratory moment for Moses uh, as well. Uh, But the goal of your life is faith, not any particular outcome. It is great when we have great outcomes, and I think any life lived in faith will produce fruit in the midst 
of disappointment. Even if you don't get the outcome you want, if you live a life in faith, you will see fruit in different ways nonetheless. I think we can hang our hat on that promise. It's going to happen. It just might not look like uh, the outcome that you wanted, but the goal is to have faith anyway. It's your faith that ultimately releases fruitfulness. Maybe not the fruitfulness you were targeting, but if you stay in faith, it will release fruitfulness somewhere in your life and even after your life because of your life. You will leave, leave a legacy of fruitfulness as Abraham did, a legacy that he never really saw. So the goal is faith. Arguably, my favorite book in the Bible is the book of Job, which tells you pretty much all you need to know about my personality. Job had a very wretched time. A lot of terrible things happened to Job, and he didn't deserve any of them, right? Job suffered because God made a bet with Satan, right? Uh, God and Satan are talking in the throne room at the opening of the story, and God is bragging about Job, Um, and uh, Satan says, well, it's only because his life is so easy that he loves you. And so God says, all right, make his life hard then, and we'll see if he loves me at the end of it. Does that really go on in heaven? It's like, I don't want God to brag about me. (laughs) Keep your head down. And anyway, Satan gets permission to totally ruin Job's life, and it is is hellish what happens. And and then... the story of Job does not resolve at the end of the book as I would hope, you know. God shows up and speaks to Job in a very, very impressive, almost violent way. Speaks to him from a whirlwind, which is where I usually hear God best in my life when things seem like a tornado is going on. And, and God never explains that what happened to Job happened because God was proud of Job. Job never gets the background story, is never told about the heavenly wager, about how all of heaven's courts are looking down. He never gets that story. God basically shows up and says, I'm God, you're not. And Job's like, okay. And I think to myself, why are you okay with that? I would not be okay with that. I had too much rebellion and pride in me, uh, but then, then, it, then it strikes me. What did Job receive when God showed up in a whirlwind and spoke to him like that? And the thing that Job received was this fact. God is watching me. That makes it okay. I have an audience of God. That makes my response valid and important. Even my response to failure. God is watching you. It could be that the entire court of heaven is watching you. It could be that the entire point of them watching you is to see whether or not you keep faith in the midst of savage disappointment. That could be so important that God himself has laid money on it. Probably not money, but you get my point. Reputation. He's laid reputation on it. That's how important your disappointment might be. God is watching. Uh, Number two, uh, beating uh, disappointment with God is humility. And I wish I I wish I could say that in a fancier way. You know, humility, yay. Humility. Um, There it is, though. Um, Jesus said, "If you want to find life, you have to lose your life. If you want to follow me, 
you know, to pick up your cross daily uh, and, and, and follow me that way. We excel in the kingdom of God if we don't get wrapped up in ourselves. If we are willing to be lowly and humble and, and, and put, put to death our self, which is to say our self-regard and our self-reference. You know, we can't afford to be narcissistic at all in, in the kingdom of God. And the word for that is humility, lowliness, not modesty, but lowliness, you know, actually being small, not just pretending that you're not big. <laughs> you know, modesty is, uh, is not what we're talking about. It's real true uh, humility. Um, when I, uh, I, I went through a period of, of life-threatening depression uh, some years back, uh, I talk about it a lot, so you've probably heard uh, my stories, um, but I, I wanted to die. I wanted to kill myself you know, because I was so angry. And the reason I was so angry is because I had found life to be so disappointing and I was so disappointed with God and it almost killed me. And my path out of it was actually a path of self-mortification. One day I said, man, I feel like I want to die. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus said that anyone who wanted to follow him would have to die to himself. I can do that. I can do that because I am just sick of myself. I am sick of my life. You know, and I started praying about what that meant. I started pursuing the ancient Christian tradition of self-mortification, which isn't self-punishment. It is freedom from self. I just started living as though I didn't matter that much. That I was not the center of my own universe. I started just sort of not caring about my ambitions and my hopes and stuff like that, which is, you know, dynamic. It's hard to do that really well. And I could tell longer stories about that and to tell you exactly what I did. But I just did disciplined exercises of humility and lowliness. And I got much happier. I discovered more of who I was when I thought less about myself and what I was. One of the paradoxes uh, of the gospel. We could talk more about that, um, but... It seems to be really important. John the Baptist, called by Jesus, uh, the, greatest, the greatest man ever born of woman up till that time in history. Uh, Jesus was really fond of John the Baptist. Yet when Jesus came, John the Baptist's life and ministry went downhill quickly. He ended up getting decapitated in prison on trumped-up charges. Um, when John the Baptist's fruitful ministry started taking a nosedive after Jesus came. Somebody came to John and said, John, what are we going to do about this? And what did he say? He said of Jesus, he must become greater. I must become less. I realize that humility is the key to everything. I'm going to do what I can to disappear. You know, and he did. He disappeared from the pages of history. But what a ministry, and we're still talking about him today. Humility. All right, number three, celebrate worthy failure. There, there is such a thing as worthy failure. At our uh, leaders' banquet at the end, uh, or the beginning of every year, we, Blue Water Ministry leaders get together and we have a big dinner in the church office and we give out awards. There's an award for Blue Water Moment of the Year. A Blue Water Moment is that moment where you kind of wake up and say, How did my life become this? God has done such things in me that I don't even recognize myself anymore. What am I doing here? How did this happen? But it's a good moment, you know. Uh, blue water moment of the year. Uh, we give uh, a moment for, uh, an award for most awkward ministry moment of the year. Awkward ministry moment. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right, so that gets an award. And then our favorite award, I think my favorite award, is most spectacular whiff of the year, which is something that you tried for God. It was worth doing, but it was a total failure. But it was worth doing. You know, it was a worthy failure. And what we've discovered as a community of faith is that it's really important to celebrate worthy failures. That that was the most glorious belly flop I've ever seen. That was worth doing. Um, and uh, almost more fun that it didn't work out. We will celebrate it. We will give you an award. It's a very cool award. It's a little trophy. It's got a sailboat on it. Blue water. Do you feel it? Are you feeling me? Celebrate worthy failures. Do it in your life, even if you have to pretend a little bit to do it. That's a great thing for us to do in community, and it's a great thing for you to do in your Ohana groups. Who failed spectacularly this week? That's a great way to start. That's a wonderful testimony to start with. Amen? How many people here failed spectacularly this week? You're all afraid I'm going to make you tell the story. I'm not going to make you tell the story. Good job. And then finally, um, have a community that understands. A real community of faith understands. You know what disappointment means? Disappointment means to lose your appointment, to lose your office. comes from an ancient uh, French, Old English word that means to get kicked out of your position. You know, you were planning on holding this, this place in life, but you got displaced. You got disappointed. So have a community of appointment, a community that gives you a place no matter what. Insofar as you're able to partake in a community like that, and I think Blue Water is a great community like that, a community of appointment. Realize that your appointment in the kingdom of God is really not based on the outcomes of your life either. You have a calling, and that calling starts and ends with faith. Just a few tips. Let's pray.